take a drive through the center of any New England town, and you're likely to find a restaurant or a ski shop or a condominium that looks suspiciously like a church. That's because it was a church at one time. But something happened along the way. Visitors stopped dropping in. Kids lost interest. Families found other things to do on a Sunday morning. Pillars of the church up and went to Florida or heaven. And the church closed its doors for the last time. They tell us that three or 4,000 churches a year in America close their doors. Now, aren't we glad that the folks at Community Church of Watertown had the courage and the vision to make sure that didn't happen there? <laughs> yes, we are. Look over the membership roles of any thriving church in New England, and you will find some names on that rolls of people who are no longer active in the church. Now, at one time they were, growing in their faith, serving the community, but something happened along the way, and they lost their passion for, for God and church. They may be present in body, but their spirits are not engaged. They tell us that some two and a half million church members lapse into inactivity every year. Now, why is that? What happens that could cause a, a church or a person to, to fall from a once vibrant faith into apathy and inactivity? Now, there are probably all kinds of reasons in any given situation, but the bottom line is that somewhere along the way, there was a failure to seek Trust and follow God's leading. I'll say that again. Somewhere along the way, they failed to seek, trust, and follow God's leading. You see, our God, the God of the Bible, is always on the move. He's always doing new things. And when we fail to seek those new things, to trust Him for the future, to follow Him where He's leading, we risk losing our way. And not just our way, but the way of those who are coming behind us. Which is why churches and Christ followers must always be asking the question, what's next, Lord? Where are you leading? To whom should we go? And what part would you have me to play in that future? So that's what this next teaching series and generosity initiative is all about. It's about moving into the next chapter of Grace Chapel's story. It's about taking our next step towards a more generous life. Every few years here at Grace, we take a pause and we consider again God's call on our church and on our lives, including our finances and our, our resources and time, talent, and energy and we ask God to reveal what he's asking of us next. And so that's what we're doing for these first six weeks or so of 2015. So last week we talked about the joy of a generous life. And then today, this week, we're going to be thinking in particular about our ministry vision for the next couple of years here at Grace. What we're hoping to do in this series is to make a connection, help you see the connection between your giving to and through Grace Chapel week by week to the impact those ministries are having on people's lives and on our city and on our world. 
Now, to be sure, there are many ways to be generous beyond just giving of our finances. So we're talking about generosity of time and talent and energy and spirit. And there are many other places to give beyond Grace Chapel. And we encourage you to give beyond your local church as the Lord puts it on your heart. But we wouldn't want you to miss the strategic and effective connection uh, of, of your giving to the ministries that God has raised up here at Grace that are having such an impact on people's lives. So the series is all going to end on February 8th when we'll all have an opportunity to, to take our next step of generosity. We're going to call it Intention Sunday. It's going to be a meaningful moment for each of us and for all of us as a church. Now, this week, in the next week or so, you should be receiving a brochure that kind of lays out the vision for the next couple of years and explains how you can be part of it. So be watching for that and think it through thoughtfully. Today, we'd like to think in particular about uh, the next couple of years and where we sense God leading us. And as we do that, before I get to the particulars of it, I'd like to ground that vision and ground this whole initiative in the Scriptures. In one of my favorite passages, a passage I've taught on before, Psalm 78, but there's a, there's a truth there that I've missed in previous times through this passage, so I'm eager to share it with you. So let's take a look for a few minutes at Psalm 78 and then see what it means for our church going forward. Psalm 78, beginning at verse 1. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I, would, I will utter things hidden from of old, things we have heard and known, things our fathers and mothers have taught us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Now we're told that this is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a, a worship leader in ancient Israel. He's called the chief musician. And so what he's given us here is a song, a song that will be sung in worship like the ones we've been singing, but a song that was designed to instruct as well. And so in this opening stanza, Asaph teaches us two things. The first is that we need to learn from our past, things hidden from of old, things our fathers and mothers have taught us. We must never lose sight of what God has done. Never lose our sense of wonder and joy and gratitude at all that God has done in and through and around us and, and in, the, in the world at large as he advances his work in this world. These are things we need to remind ourselves of all the time to learn from the past. The second lesson it teaches is that we have to pass these things on to those who follow. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. And so we need to pass these things on, not only to our children, but to newcomers, to the community of faith as well. Because if we don't pass along our joy, our wonder, our gratitude, our enthusiasm, the next generation might never get it. It could be lost. And so as we look to the future, before we look to the future here at Grace, it's worth pausing for a moment and reminding ourselves of all that God has done in and through this church over its past years of history. How it began decades ago with four families meeting in a living room in Lexington. Four families with, with a vision for a different kind of a church. 
A church that would be focused on, on serving and reaching people who are far from God. A church that would bring down the denominational barriers that might keep a person from walking in the door for the very first time. And as the video we watched just reminded us, at critical times along the way, God raised up a leader. God provided land or money or a building. God opened doors again and again to opportunities. And those congregations, those folks, time after time, took that next step, followed God through those open doors. And it's why we're here today. Here we are in the year 2015. Let's just think for a minute about the new things God has done in these first 15 years of the 21st century. There's, there's a renovation of our campus here in Lexington. Almost everything you see has been redone over the past 15 years. The 40 Days of Purpose campaign of some years ago. Life communities, now over 100 strong with thousands of people involved in a small group. The multicultural initiative that has literally changed the, the face of our church. The, the planting of Grace Point Church in Andover some seven or eight years ago. New partnerships in Malawi and Cairo and Jordan and Lebanon and with the Trotter School here in Boston. A long list of new ministries. Alpha, Plug-In, Celebrate Recovery, The Art Gallery, Winter Blast, Spring Serve, Kids Town, Gravity, Fusion, Fire. The list goes on and on. Nine Christmas Eve services touching 7,000 people. We've had nearly 300,000 people visit us at least once on the web over these past years. Three new campuses, the greater things for Greater Boston Church Network. Not to mention three World Series championships, three Super Bowl wins, an NBA title, and a Stanley Cup. Now, Grace Chapel had very little to do with any of those things. I can assure you of that, okay? But they need to be noted. God has raised up a church that touches thousands of people's lives every single week. A church that brings the redemptive presence of Christ to households and communities, to our city, to New England, and in dozens of countries all around the world. It's nearly seven decades of nearly uninterrupted growth and vitality and impact. Claude and Forestine Cole were our uh, longest uh, founding members. They each passed away in recent years. Well, Claude and Forestine used to love to tell the story of grace because they'd seen it all from the very beginning. And they loved to tell the story. And every time they did, Forestine, with tears in her eyes, would quote Psalm 118. The Lord has done it, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And it is. And they were being faithful to their charge to make sure that we knew the story so that we could embrace it and celebrate it and pass it along. The, the message of this opening stanza is that every generation is a link in a chain, a chain that dare not be broken or all could be lost. But the purpose of all this telling and remembering isn't just to celebrate the past, it's to ensure the future. It's not about reliving the glory days, it's about moving into the even more glorious days that might still be out in front. It's to inspire and equip the next generation to carry on that faith and mission in the days to come. Look at verse 7. So they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. 
As the saying goes, God has no grandchildren. Every generation has to choose for themselves, believe for themselves, follow for themselves. Which is why they also say the church is always one generation away from extinction, or at least stagnation, which is just about as bad. Because there are no guarantees. It, it takes very little time for a church to lose its vitality and its sense of mission. And so this charge to tell the next generation comes with a warning. Verse 8. So they would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to Him. You see, there are no guarantees. It's possible for the chain to be broken. God is always on the move. He's always doing new things. But when a generation fails to follow, all can be lost. Look at what happens in verse 9. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by His law. They forgot what He had done, the wonders He had shown them. Now, this is the thing I had missed before. Every time I've taught on Psalm 78, I, I typically stop at verse 8. But the psalm keeps going for 72 verses. You'll be thankful to know we're not going to cover all 72 in these few moments. So let me give you the short version. Ephraim was one of Joseph's sons. He was the son who was actually blessed by his grandfather, Jacob. Ephraim became one of the tribes of 12 tribes of Israel. And it looked for all the world as though Ephraim was the tribe of destiny. That this was the tribe through whom God would accomplish his purposes for Israel and for the rest of the world. But something happened along the way. Asaph tells us. Look again at verse 9. The men of Ephraim turned back on the day of battle. Now, we don't know if Asaph's referring to some specific battle or if he's speaking metaphorically. The point is, at some critical moment, the tribe of Ephraim failed to follow God. They, they failed to seek his leading. They failed to trust that he could provide and bless. And they failed to take whatever step he was asking of them. Now, we don't know what the reason was. Was it fear stubbornness, laziness, we don't know. But the bottom line is they failed to take that next step and so they missed out on the new thing that God was doing. And this is the really tragic thing. It wasn't just that generation that missed out, but all the succeeding generations in Ephraim as well. The tribe of Ephraim never again found their way into the purposes of God. In fact, that tribe of Ephraim became synonymous with the ten northern tribes of Israel, which became the lost tribes of Israel. So we'll skip over the whole sad story and go to the end of the psalm, verse 67. Then he, that is God, rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. He chose David, his servant. The descendants of Ephraim missed their moment. They forfeited their opportunity to be the ones through whom God would bring his global work to the entire world. And so God passed them over. He chose someone else. He found another tribe, tribe of Judah. He found another man named David, a man after his own heart. You see, 
God will carry out his purposes. There is no question about that. And if a person or a tribe or a church is not willing to answer that call, he will find someone who is. It's a disturbing story. It's a cautionary tale that a once great tribe of people could forfeit their destiny, lose their opportunity to be used of God in a great way. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that generation. I don't want to be that leader. I don't want us to be the church that misses out on what God has in store. And so that's what this next initiative is all about. It's about seeking God and trusting God and following God into the future, whatever he has in store. It's about getting our hearts and our ministry ready for whatever's next. What will that next chapter look like? More campuses? New partnerships? Greater influence? We don't know exactly. But we know that God's on the move, that he's always doing new things. And whatever God has in store, we want to be ready. And so we know two things need to happen over these next couple of years if we're to be ready for that future. So let me share these two priorities for the next couple of years. The first priority is reaching and raising the next generation of Christ followers. Reaching and raising the next generation. We want to renew and refresh our commitment to serving and reaching the, the children and the teenagers and the young people who are in our midst and in our community as well. To, to help them follow Christ and to be the church now and into their adult years. Now, a few things are driving this. We know, for instance that the vast majority of Christians made their first commitment to Christ before the age of 18. In fact, I'll ask you for a moment. If you made your first commitment, your first decision for Christ before the age of 18, just slip a hand up for a moment. Look around the room. It's two-thirds, if not 80% of the room before the age of 18. We don't want to miss that opportune moment to, to, to find a young person at a, at a formative season of life introduce them to life with God and mobilize them to spend the rest of their lives following and serving Him. And we know that many, many children in our communities are, are receiving no religious connection or training at all. So we want to be there for them and get them started. We know that young adults are drifting from the church in unprecedented numbers. Late teens, 20-somethings, the trend all across the country. Now, it's not as though that's a new thing. Young adults have often had a season of life in which they find their own way, but they seem to be drifting in greater numbers and having a harder time finding their way back. And so here at Grace, we want to strengthen our connection, the connections between our young people, our kids, and the larger life of the church. We want to make sure there's a seamless transition from, from grade school to middle school to high school to college to young adult and on into the life of the church. We want to be sure that people are making connections across generational lines as they grow in the faith. And we know that a vibrant ministry to children and students energizes the whole church. It really does. If you're at all familiar with Grace Chapel's story, you know that back in the 70s during a season of remarkable growth, it was a key factor was the, the commitment of the church, the passion of the church for excellence in children's ministries and student ministries. And so we want to refresh and renew that commitment. Now, it's not as though our kids' town and student ministries aren't working. They're working wonderfully. 
We just want them to be the best they can be, and we want them to be tooled up for the challenges and opportunities of our contemporary world. So a key step in that is to bring onto our staff a pastor of next-generation ministries, a seasoned leader who can cast vision and build teams and coach leaders across our campuses in children and student ministries. We want to take a fresh look at our curriculum, at our ministry model, at everything we're doing. So we have a, a, a cradle-to-college strategy for reaching kids who don't know God yet and for discipling our own young people in the faith. Now, if you don't happen to be in that particular season of life, I don't want you to feel left out. A key part of this strategy is for this generation to engage the next generation, to be a part of that story. Are, familiar, are you familiar with the term encore generation? Okay, that's a euphemistic term that marketers are using to describe 50-somethings and older. The encore generation. Sounds nice, doesn't it? 50-something folks and older who want to do something significant with the second half of their lives. We, we who are in that boat have experience, we have wisdom, we have connections, we have health and energy, we, we may have resources, time, money, freedom. What would it look like to unleash that wisdom and experience on the life of a local church? So a key piece of this strategy is about empowering and mobilizing this generation to, to exercise leadership, to mentor next generations, to serve alongside younger people in all kinds of ministries across the church. The East Lexington campus is really leading the way for us on experimenting with this intergenerational style of ministry. So the brochure you're going to get is going to tell you a little bit more about uh, all this, this particular priority. You can read more about it there. But just to prime the pump a little bit, to kind of get you excited about what's happening, we'd like to just give you a glimpse into our Kids Town ministry. Let's turn our attention to the screens for just a moment. I like Kids Town because all the volunteers here are, have so much passion and uh, energy, and it's amazing how organized uh, folks here are and uh, how. Uh, we feel safe uh, bringing our children here. He always comes home with a great Bible study lesson and crafts, and I think it's just wonderful that we, we can provide that for our kids so that the parents can go to worship service. I like that every morning we come and somebody's always happy and smiling and ready to take our children. I like learning about Jesus. We learn about God in a fun way and do projects to help us understand virtues and help us learn more about God and what He has done for us. In our groups we um, read the Bible and we do some activities. Usually in other churches you have to stay with your parents and you know you don't really understand all the time but when it's in Kids Town they say it like they talk about God and it just sounds like you understand more. Grace Chapel should uh, invest in this generation because they're the future. Uh, of not only this church, but also of our society and of America and the world, our global Christian citizens, they will shape our, the moral value and moral fabric of our society and our family values. It's a great delight to be a part of God's work here in Kids.
Kids Town at Grace Chapel. Our children are very excited and happy to be here. I cannot imagine Grace Chapel without a Kids Town. I love the way that father put it, global Christian citizens who will shape the church and culture and the world for years to come. I mean, that's the potential that resides with us. And so we want to do everything we can to serve well all the young lives that God entrusts to our care. So that's our first priority, reaching and raising the next generation. The second priority is to resource our campuses for growth and impact. Resource our campuses for growth and impact. Now, if you were here four years or so ago, you remember we first began thinking about the possibility of a new campus. And there were lots of doubts about going in that direction. I mean, no one had had very much success with a video campus here in New England. We had all kinds of questions about whether it would work or not. I mean, would Grace Chapel people really leave everything we have here in Lexington to go off to some new, smaller campus? Would there, we really still feel like one church in different locations? Would our teaching pastors be as engaging and good-looking on screen as they are in real life? I mean, come on. <laughs> Lots of questions. And here we are, just four years later. And God's raised up not one or two, but three new campuses. We've seen such wonderful things happening on those campuses. Strong leadership teams. New waves of volunteers being raised up. Wonderful sense of community on those campuses. A local presence serving their neighbors, their schools, their towns in which, in which they live. And lots and lots of new folks. And many of those new folks are coming from Unchurched, unconnected backgrounds, their first time in many, many years being in a vibrant church. Aren't we glad four years ago we took that step and followed God into an uncertain future? Aren't we glad that when a door opened up in Watertown, we were able to walk through it because we had leadership, because we had a strategy, because we had some funds in place to walk through that door? So we believe that this is a God-honoring strategy for the years to come. So we envision more campuses in the years to come. Now, how many campuses, where they are, when we launch them, we don't know all those things yet. We're praying, we're talking, we're researching, we're exploring. But in the meantime, we need a year or two for our systems and our funding to catch up with our growth. I'll say that again. We need a year or two for our systems and our funding to catch up with our growth. A lot has happened. The ministry's expanded in these few years, and so we, we just need to kind of get reorganized. Just for instance, today, this Sunday, we'll have 10 different worship services involving seven different worship teams on four different locations. It's very complicated, and that factor kind of filters out to all the other aspects of ministry. And so we want to build strong teams and systems to sustain our ministry across campuses. And communications and technology and worship arts are particular areas of need. Secondly, we want to explore growth and expansion opportunities on our new campuses. So the good news is that our campuses are thriving. New folks are coming. The bad news is that we're running out of room. 
In Wilmington, both morning services are crowded. On Christmas Eve, they had crowds of people standing in the hallways to participate in the service. In Watertown, they're running out of room for children and student ministries. So we need to begin thinking, what can we do to create space to give those campuses room to grow? Again, we're still searching out the answers, but we need to spend some time and energy and money to figure those things out. And then thirdly, over the next couple of years, we want to intentionally invest in the Lexington campus. Invest in this Lexington campus. Can I just point out something for you? Over the past four years, this Lexington campus has sent off over 400 people to launch new campuses. And many of those people are key leaders and volunteers. Now you talk about generosity of spirit. This campus has given away some great folks to see these new campuses flourish. Now the, the good news about that is those campuses are flourishing. And the result here in Lexington is that we have some empty seats and some empty slots. Empty seats for seekers to begin their journey and empty slots for leaders and volunteers. So we believe the time is right for God to do a new thing here in Lexington. And so we want to invest in it as a campus just as we have in the others. So a key element in that investment is to identify a campus pastor, a spiritual leader and shepherd who will give particular attention to the needs and challenges and opportunities of, of this congregation and of the communities that we serve here around Lexington. It's a key role. And after much prayer and thought over the past uh, several months, we are happy to announce that Pastor Dave Ripper will begin taking on the role of campus pastor here in Lexington. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to bring him up here in just a minute, but before I do, we, we realize, too, there's another key piece to the effectiveness of our campuses. Certainly, in part, it has been the campus pastor leadership that Pastors Tom and Robert and Dana are providing there. But they have also had an incredibly valuable partner with them in that work, someone with a heart for, for sharing faith with people, someone with incredible leadership skills, and that someone is Pastor Richard Rhodes. So we're going to join the two of these guys at the hip. We are going to join these guys at the hip for the next 16 months or so and turn them loose on this, con this campus. So take a moment, Dave and Richard, just tell us hi and what your thoughts are. Come up a little bit here. Well, thanks so much, Brian, and thank you, everyone. Uh, we really consider it a great honor and privilege to be able to step into this new role. We absolutely love this campus. Um, my participation here in our morning services has just helped us get to know so many more people. We don't just have great young adults here, but great kids and students and families and encore people, whatever you people are called. And, uh, yeah, encore. And, uh, and so we're just so thrilled to be part of that. So I was sharing with someone after the first service that, uh, pastors don't shape churches as much as churches and congregations shape pastors. And I'm so grateful for how I, my life has been shaped by each and every one of you. And I think you know that our passion is all about discipleship and outreach. And so we hope to really lean into that heavily here in the coming months and years. Uh, as Dallas Willard has said, the church is for discipleship and discipleship is for the world. And so we hope and pray that we can equip a lot of followers of Jesus to love and serve and bless 
our local communities, our region, and our entire world. So we are so excited to be a part of this, to collaborate and partner with all of you. We love you and are so thrilled to be able to, to join in with what God is doing here at Lexington. Well, I just want you to know that I so believe in this guy. He is young, passionate, a high-capacity leader that I believe God has his hand on. He's anointed him for this role, and I want all of you to know how much I love him and I can't wait to work together with you and with him here in the Lexington campus. And having had the privilege of working with Wilmington, Watertown, East Lexington, uh, I want you to also know how grateful they are. I speak for them in telling you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving them, leave, uh, sending off such great leaders, um, getting behind them, doing that with such um, grateful, generous, enthusiastic hearts. And especially for those that have come to know Christ, they want to say thank you to you for all that you've invested in each of those campuses. So thank you very much. We've got some great days ahead, and we're really right, looking forward you. to it. Thanks, guys. So in case you're wondering what I'll be doing now, <laughs> I'll be doing pretty much the same thing I've been doing, still doing the majority of the, of the teaching here on Sundays, still providing spiritual leadership for the overall life of the entire church, still hanging around the lobby most Sundays here in Lexington, happy to meet and talk with uh, any one of you. It's not that I'll be doing less in Lexington, it's simply that Dave's going to be doing more than I was able to do before, and so that's a good thing. Dave will continue to give leadership to our fire ministry uh, as well. So those are our two strategic priorities for the next couple of years, uh, reaching and raising the next generation and resourcing our campuses. Now along the way, we're going to keep on doing all the wonderful things that God has raised up here, things we've talked about, mom to mom, enjoy Bible study and men's ministry and... Uh, all our grief share and divorce recovery and Stephen Ministries and ESOL and uh, all the good things that go on here from week to week. And we just want you to understand that your weekly giving, your monthly giving, your however you give, it's those gifts that enable all this to happen. That's the only way any of these things could happen and all these stories could be told. And thanks to uh, your faithfulness over this past year and some strong year-end giving, we're having a very good giving year. We're actually at this point 10% ahead of where we were this time last year. So that's a wonderful thing. Amen. Before you clap too long, we're still 5% behind where we need to be. As I said, we've taken on a lot over the past few years, and so it's taken a while for our giving to catch up. So... Part of this generosity initiative is about each of us and all of us taking our next step of generosity. What might the Lord be asking us to do so that all these ministries can be funded for the next two years and we can invest in these new priorities and be ready for whatever doors the Lord opens for us? So we'll be asking you to ask God what your next step of generosity might be financially. Maybe it's to begin giving to grace. Maybe you've never really been giving intentionally to Grace Chapel. You want to get started. Maybe it's to become a regular giver. So that's a part of your life, thoughtfully, intentionally, week by week. Maybe you're a regular giver and you want to increase your giving by some percentage of your income or by some dollar amount that God puts on your heart. We'd like you to think and pray about those things. 
And then we'll have an opportunity to express our readiness to follow Christ on February 8th, where we'll have an opportunity to declare confidentially, to declare confidentially what our financial commitments will be to the church for the next two years, 2015 and 16. It's going to be a great moment for us individually and as a church. Before we finish up this morning, and we're just about done, we want you to hear one more great Grace Chapel story. Several years ago, we sensed God doing a new thing here at Grace. He was putting on our hearts a burden for serving people who were dealing with significant life issues, wounded relationships, um, bad habits, obstacles to life and faith, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we'd heard about a ministry called Celebrate Recovery a Christ-centered 12-step type program. Now, it was rather untested here in New England. We knew it required great, sustained leadership and specialized leadership. We weren't sure we had that leadership, but we sensed God leading, so we said, let's go. And at just the right time, God brought to us Pastor Jim Ennis, and along with Pastor Judy Pierce, they provided great leadership. The Lord raised up a great lay leadership team, and the end result of that is as tomorrow night, they'll celebrate seven years of Celebrate Recovery every Monday night for the past seven years. It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. We'd like you to hear one of those stories. So, Beth, I'm going to ask you to come on up and share a little bit of your Grace Chapel story with us. Uh, Grace was, uh, uh, Beth was hoping that her uh, husband, Russ, could join her, but he's homesick today, so um, Beth's going to carry the freight for us. Can we welcome Beth as she comes? Thanks, thanks for being here, Beth. Uh, just tell us a little bit about kind of how you got started at Grace Chapel and with Celebrate Recovery. Sure. Uh, Russ and I came to Grace Chapel in the summer of uh, 2000. We came uh, wounded and weary, and we were looking for a church home that preached the gospel and lived the gospel. And we found that gradually here at Grace Chapel. We uh, came, we sat in the back of the church, and we only worshiped, and that season lasted for seven years. Over that time, we gradually started uh, joining um, some uh, adult Bible study classes here. We also joined a life community group that we're still a part of today, and we participated in the whole church uh, purpose-driven life. And over that period of time, God raised up in me a really deep desire to heal, heal more deeply and that there was something missing in my life. And in God's great providence, that was the time that Celebrate Recovery uh, was birthed here at Grace Chapel. All right, well, tell us a little bit about that happened. What have you seen God do in your life through Celebrate Recovery? How does that all work? Hard to put into words in I'm a minute. Sure, I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, so we came through the doors the first, the first day, January 2008, and we found a safe place. Um, I came seeking recovery from um, things that I had struggled with for uh, my whole life, which were food addiction and people-pleasing and perfectionism and depression. And I found a safe place in order to uh, work those things out. It's um, when you arrive at Celebrate Recovery, there's a wonderful opportunity for casual fellowship over a homemade dinner meal. And then there's a time of, um, where we gather for singing. Um, after that, there's a teaching that's um, based on the recovery steps, and those are based on the Beatitudes of Christ. 
And on alternate weeks, we have an opportunity to hear somebody's testimony and what God is doing in their life. Um, after that portion of the evening, we break down into gender-specific groups and issue-specific groups, and we have an opportunity to be in a safe, confidential place where people share who are going through the same issues that, um, that, 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 we, all, that we are and um, have a chance to speak our truth. Um, it's a relational program, and it's built on the principle it's the biblical truth that we do not heal on our own. We need each other, and we need Christ in order to grow emotionally and spiritually. And that is what I find there. When I hear other people in community here at, at Grace Chapel, but also specifically at Celebrate Recovery, I have hope. And I find inspiration to never give up. And I have found the safety that I can be authentic, I can speak my truth in love, and it's a safe place. Well, thank, thank you, Beth. It's a great picture of that ministry. Uh, one more thing. We've been talking about generosity in this series, mm. generosity of time and talent and treasure and those sorts of things. A little bit, tell us a little bit about your, your kind of giving story. Oh, sure. Actually, giving um, is part of my recovery story. Um, uh, by nature, I find it easy to give. But what I've discovered along the way, that, that God wanted to heal the motives that I give. And with all the people-pleasing that I have done my whole life, I brought all of those habits into my relationships with people. I brought them into how uh, to ministry and giving. And God showed me that it was about um, pleasing other people. And the ouch was that underneath that and that wounded piece was that it really was about me, not about God. And I needed him to transform that. And part of coming to celebrate recovery and consciously choosing, this is one of our steps, consciously choosing to commit my whole life to his care and control helps me walk that out. And he's transformed that so I know who I am, whose I am, and um, I'm come to a place where I can start embracing my weaknesses, but also begin to maybe celebrate some of my strengths. And so I have an opportunity to do that in service, and that's happened for Russ and I. So from the service aspect, um, we're now um, we have now have an opportunity to be participant leaders at uh, Celebrate Recovery. Um, also, we serve on the information desk here at Grace Chapel. And then because Russ and I both have individual gifts, we also have individual areas where we serve. And um, Russ serves as an usher, and I um, have had the privilege of providing us hospitality for soul care retreats as well as some of the adult courses. But then financially, my husband has really been a wonderful model for me. He's a godly man who has um, always given out of his love and devotion to God. And so our 41 years of marriage have really been built on giving back to God um, through weekly ple uh, pledges. And that uh, faith practice and uh, God allowing me to be obedient to that, we were, able to, we were ready when something bigger came along and God was asking us to make a sacrifice. And that was when the capital campaign happened. Mm -hmm. 
and um, we felt a sense that we need to sacrifice and we made the decision for three years and three months to uh, release our funds to God here at Christ Chapel um, from our retirement savings and um, we did a little bit of fear but we gave it freely and one of the biggest things that I can celebrate today is that God has, has made a heart change in me that allows me to give out of gratitude and not out of need. And I am one of those encore people. God is on the move, um, and I am excited to be a part of that, Amen. and so is Russ, who would love to have been here. Right. Well, thank you, Beth, very much. Well, aren't we glad when we sensed God doing a new thing that we followed him and began that CR ministry? Aren't you glad that your gifts along the way have made possible those kinds of changes in the lives of hundreds and even thousands of people like Beth and Russ? We don't know what God has in store exactly for the years to come, but we know he's always on the move. He's always doing new things. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of the generation the church that seeks and trusts and follows him into whatever is next. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to celebrate today a great, great story, a story of your work through the life of one congregation that has faithfully followed you for many years. We're grateful for all those who went before us, for those who have prayed and served and given and trusted and followed so that we can be here today and Lord, we want to be as faithful as they in ensuring that this ministry is here for those who come after us. And we don't want to miss out on anything you might want to do through our church in greater Boston and around the world. So speak to each of us, we pray, over these next few weeks. Show us the part you would have us to play. And speak to all of us as you make your way plain in the days to come. We'll trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>